This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies today in the book of Romans, and we're going to start in chapter 3 where we left off last time. We ended in chapter 3, verse 29, so we want to begin today by going to Romans chapter 3, verse 30, and we will see if we can get through chapter 4 as we go on as well. In Romans 3.30, we find that the unity of the Godhead proves that both Jew and Gentile are amenable to God. Again, Romans 3.30 says, Seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. So we find that the Jews are justified by faith and the Gentiles through faith. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit used two different prepositions for the justification of the Jews and Gentiles. It says the Jews would be justified by faith, which is the Greek word ek. Thayer defines ek as out of, from, by, away, away from. And then the Gentiles will be justified through faith, which is the Greek word dia which Thayer defines as through, a primary preposition denoting the channel of an act, or through. But really the emphasis is on faith, and Brother Robert Taylor made this statement, and I quote, Since the very same plan of salvation is for both Jew and Gentile, it is worthless to try and make an appreciable difference between by faith and through faith, unquote. Paul also states, Next, one last objection that some of the Jews might have, and that is in Romans 3.31, and that is, does faith make the law void? Romans 3.31 says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. You know, the law is not made valueless because of God's plan to justify mankind through the law of faith. You know, Jesus Christ came by grace and truth, John 1.17. John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And we are sanctified by our obedience to the truth, John 17.17. 17 where Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then he mentioned also there in the verse in Romans 3.31 that law was established. The word established from the Greek word histemi, which Thayer defines as to make firm, fix, establish. You know, the law of Moses was a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 22 to 25, Galatians 3, 22 to 25, it says, But the scripture has concluded, or hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. 
wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We understand from that passage then that we are no longer under the law of Moses. Law of Moses was a schoolmaster, or you might cons- uh, today we might consider that as a bus driver to bring like children to school or whatever. Well, that's what the law was to bring people to Christ and the new law, and that we are no longer under that. Because the law has served its purpose. It was nailed to the cross. You look in Colossians 2, verses 14 through 17. Colossians 2, 14 to 17. says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, that being in the cross over the principalities and powers there of the law of Moses. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. So again, we see that the law of Moses, the law of God, there that he gave through Moses, was nailed to the cross of Christ. And the law was removed, so a far more superior system could be established. Hebrews 10, verses 9 and 10. Again, Hebrews 10, 9 and 10 says there, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus came into the world, the Christ, the Savior, to take away the law of Moses so that he could establish his law, the law of Christ. Well, Romans 1 showed the Gentiles to be sinners. Romans 2 showed the Jews to be sinners. Well, what can be done for sinful man? God had to provide a way for mankind to be redeemed and ransomed from the bondage of sin. And God did that by sending his son to die in our place so that we might, through obedient faith, have fellowship with God and also have the hope of eternal life. Now, when we get into Romans chapter 4, one writer stated this concerning it, and I quote, is a cauldron from which heretics seek to conjure many errant doctrines, unquote. So let's see what's taking place now in Romans chapter 4. Well, what are some of these false doctrines? Well, the false doctrine as that says we are no longer under law. Sinners are saved with no action on their part. God is the only actor in man's salvation. And that God infuses the unrighteous with righteousness. You know, all of these false doctrines come from the misreading of the law and a mistaken view of Abraham's relationship with God. In Romans 4, Paul informs the Jews that physical relationship to Abraham is useless. Well, Abraham was justified by 
faithful obedience, not by meritorious works. And that's Romans 4, 1 through 5. And we're going to look at each verse here. First of all, the Jew who now knows that Paul says he is a sinner just like the Gentiles would appeal to his fleshly relation to Abraham. And let's look at Romans 4 verses 1 and 2. It says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. You see, the Jesus faced the same Jewish appeal to their relationship with Abraham. Whenever you go to John chapter 8, we're going to read verses 30 down through 59. But this shows the attitude that the Jews had in their relationship with Abraham. Verse 30 says, As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Well, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So Jesus is talking about being servants of sin, being free from sin. And of course, you look at the Jews' history, they were in bondage many, many times. Verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed. But ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Right there we see works of Abraham. Verse 40, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Therefore are ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. 
Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. You ever notice that whenever someone knows that they have no good answer to what was just said, they start calling names. I mean, they call names like you're a racist, you're a bigamist, you're whatever, misogynist, whatever. They always call names because they don't have a good answer. And that's the only defense they have, and that's the only defense that the Jews here had with Jesus. Now let's go to verse 49. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him. But I know him, and if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. But we see the attitude here that the Jews had concerning their physical relationship with Abraham. The same thing that Paul was facing here in Romans chapter 4. And you realize when it comes to the realization that Abraham in the flesh actually came from heathenism. You look at Joshua 24, verse 2. Joshua 24, 2 says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. That would be on the other side of the river, the Euphrates River. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Now that doesn't mean that Abraham served other gods, but it does mean that their ancestors did, their fathers did. And besides that, there were no Jews in Abraham's day, and the law of Moses was given 430 years after Abraham's day. We know that from Galatians 3, 16 and 17. Galatians 3, 16 and 17 states, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And what is that? Pro those promises? The land promise, the people promise, and the promise of a Savior, that in thee and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That was told to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Continuing there in verse 16, He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. 
and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So the law was given, law of Moses was given 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham. And they needed the faith of Abraham, not the flesh of Abraham. And that's Romans 4.2. Romans 4.2 again, For if Abraham are justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So he, they need that same faith that Abraham had. So Paul uses works in a sense of Abrahamic connections in the flesh. What Paul is doing is he's knocking all the props of the Jews' biological relationship with Abraham out from under them. And when all those props are knocked out, the Jews are left with the grace-faith system that we are under, and that is obedient trust. Now, physical descendants of Abraham are a dime a dozen. You go to Matthew 3, 7 through 9. Matthew 3, 7 through 9. This is talking about John the baptizer. It says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. What is that? Show in your actions, show in the works that you do in your life that you have repented. Abraham was justified by faith, not by law. Law cannot justify anyone. In Romans 4, 3, Romans 4, 3, it says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Well, how was Abraham's belief in God shown? Let's go to Genesis 15 and look at verses 1 through 6. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. It said, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, or count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. There had to be action on the part of Abraham in order for him to have a child. 
Well, Abraham was a servant of God long before the events there of Genesis chapter 15 that we just read about. And Paul there in Romans 4 is contrasting faith with meritorious works of law. The denominational world tries to contrast faith and obedience, and that is error. That is wrong, because faith itself is a work of righteousness that God requires. Look at what Jesus said in John 6, 28 and 29. The Jews are speaking to him in verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. So belief is a work that we must have. And faith is not effective until it acts, until it does things. James 2, 17 through 20. James 2, 17 through 20. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The believers, uh, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So those who teach that we are saved by faith only must also teach that demons are saved because they have faith only. And everyone that does not sin puts God in debt for their reward. If anyone doesn't sin, then God owes them. But those that do sin, the reward is reckoned by God's grace. Romans 4, 4. It says there in Romans 4, 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. That ties us back to Romans three twenty seven where it is stated there, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Nobody can boast that they do not sin because of Romans. what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, we do not try to have salvation by works of merit through a purely legal system. That's what the law of Moses would have been. If they could live it perfectly, then they could have that salvation by their works, but they couldn't do it. No human could except for Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 4, verse 5, Romans 4, verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That takes us back to Romans 1.16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, justification 
is not a matter of God owing us, a matter of debt. It is a matter of God's grace activated through our obedient faith. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. In other words, God's grace offers salvation, and it offers it that grace is offered to everyone, but not everyone will receive grace because not everyone will accept the terms of grace. Those terms are given in Romans 5, 1 and 2. It states, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access to God's grace through our obedient faith. You know, Matthew 7:21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Doing the will of the Father, which is in heaven, John 14:15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey God's word. Do the good works that God says we must do. Live a righteous life. And Paul says that David testified of the blessedness of the persons whose sins are not imputed to him. And that's Romans 4, 6 through 8. Romans 4, 6 through 8. It says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, how does God not impute sin? How does that happen? In 1 John 1, 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. We have to live obedient lives in order to not have our iniquities imputed to us, but have righteousness imputed and those iniquities to be forgiven. Well, that comment or that quote that Paul used there in Romans 4, 6 through 8 comes from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. And whenever you think about it, Abraham and David both needed justification. Psalm 32, 1 through 5 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. In other words, when I was hiding my sin, when I didn't repent of my sin. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. 
So what Paul is doing here is he is still knocking the props out from under the Jews by bringing up their heroes and show that they needed justification. You know, whenever you go over to 1 John again, chapter 1, we've already looked at verse 7, but look at verses 8 through 10. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, that is just a synopsis of what David just said there in Psalm 32. He confessed his sin, he repented of those sins, and he was made right in the sight of God by God because of the, what he had done. In Hebrews 11.6, that verse gives the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. It says there, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Will there be things to do in diligently seeking God? The answer, of course, is yes. Well, what is faith? Faith is belief and trust. What is diligently seek? Trust and obey. Our faith takes God at his word and acts accordingly. People could be forgiven under the patriarchal system and the mosaic system through the blood of Christ. But these were not purely legal systems. Faith was required under each system. In Acts 2.38, we find that Christ's righteousness is not imputed to us as is taught by some. Our sins are not imputed to us anymore when we obey the gospel. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So right there, Christ's righteousness isn't imputed to us. It's our sins that are not imputed to us whenever we obey God. Again, 1 John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Well, Abraham now was counted to be righteous because of his faith. And that's Romans 4, 9 down to verse 21. Again, let's look at these verses individually. Romans 4, 9, Paul says salvation is available to all. Everyone has the availability of salvation. He says, Cometh this blessedness that upon the circumcision only, in other words, the Jews only, or upon the uncircumcision or Gentiles also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So the question would be brought up about Abraham's righteousness, possibly here by the Jews. Well, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
That's referring to everyone in the world, both Jew and Gentile. And Abraham was counted as being righteous before he was circumcised. In Romans chapter 4, verse 10, Romans 4.10, he says, How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. So that's when he was counted to be faithful, before he was even circumcised. Abraham was not circumcised until he was 99 years old. Genesis 17:4. Genesis 17:4 says, and Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. He was 75 years old when he left Haran, and younger than that when he left Ur. Look at Genesis 11, verses 30, verse 31, down through chapter 12, verse 4. Again, Genesis 11:31. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, to a land that I will show thee. So it's sensing there, before we get into verse 2, God had said to him, and that was in Ur of the Chaldees. So they've gone from Ur of the Chaldees now to Haran. Verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So he was younger than that when he departed out of Ur of the Chaldees. So Abraham's circumcision did not justify him. See, the Jews had a Calvinistic view of being saved regardless of how they lived. In Romans 11.4, we find circumcision was the seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Romans 11.4 says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. You know, in Genesis, back in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 and 10 this time. Verse 9 says, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. So that's the covenant that God made. So 500 years before Moses, 2,000 years before Christ, then is when God interacted with Abraham to show the Jews that the Gentiles had equal access to salvation. 
And Abraham was accepted by God before his circumcision. Well, in Romans 4.12, Paul says the Gentiles can call Abraham the father of faith. Romans 4.12 says, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Well, we, you and I, if we've obeyed the gospel, are children of God through the gospel. Look at Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at two verses in Galatians 3. We're going to look at verse 16, and then we're going to look at verse 29. Verse 16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now verse 29. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So if you are not in Christ, you're not Abraham's seed. And we know from Galatians 3.27 that the only way to get into Christ is baptism. So many of us as we're baptized, let's see, that's Romans 6, over in Galatians chapter 3, again, verse 27. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then the verse that I started there with, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 there in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So if we are Christ, if we are in Christ, that's the only way to get into him is baptism. And the promise made to Abraham was not made through law. That's Romans 4.13. Romans 4.13 says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So it wasn't through the law. The law had not even been given in Abraham's time. In Galatians 3, 16 to 18, I want to go ahead and read these verses. We read verse 16 already, but let's read verses 16 through 18. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. In this I say that the covenant was that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, for that it should be that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we're not justified on the basis of our law-keeping ability, but we are justified through the righteousness of faith. See, the only promises made for the physical lineage of Abraham were that they would become a nation and they would receive a land. That's his fleshly descendants. In Genesis 2, or excuse me, Genesis 12, verses 2 and 7. Genesis 12, 2 says, I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. That's the physical. 
Also in verse 7 of Genesis 12, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. That's again his fleshly descendants. Well, in Romans 4.14, the Jews thought they were heirs of God through the law of Moses. But if that was the case, then the promise made to Abraham was made void. Romans 4.14 For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. You know, God never intended for the Jews to view the law of Moses and their descendants from Abraham to be their ticket to salvation. He never intended that. You know, if people could be saved by the keeping of the law of Moses, Christ is not needed. In Acts 15, look at verses 5 through 11. Acts 15, 5 through 11. It says, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? That being the law of Moses. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. In Romans 4.15, Paul stating there that wrath comes to lawbreakers, Romans 4.15. He says, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. But when has there ever been no law? That's the answer to that is there's always been law. God has always given law. The first law that God gave to Adam was, Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has always had a law for mankind. Let's go read Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So Paul's point is valid, though. If there's no law, there's no sin. But there's always been law. Therefore, there has always been sin whether in the patriarchal system, the mosaic system, or today under the Christian system. You know, Christian, uh, Gentile Christians are not guilty of violating the law of Moses because they were never under that law unless they proselyted to it. In Acts 15, verses 22 to 29, Acts 15, 22 to 29, it says, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. 
The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. In Romans 4.16, we see that the promise of faith is of the promise is of faith by grace. Romans 4.16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all not just Jews, but Jew and Gentile as well. So the promise was made before the law of Moses, and that is for all that obey God. Justification comes through divine favor, which is grace, through human obedience, which is obedient faith. Obedient faith takes God at his word and follows his instructions without reservation. In Romans 4.17, it says there, Paul said, Abraham accepted God's precious promise through faith. Romans 4.17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Paul refers back to Genesis 17.5. Genesis 17.5 says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. So the nations did not exist yet. Abraham was 99 years old, Sarah was about 90 years old, and Isaac was promised, but he had not been conceived. And God made the dead makes the dead alive, and speaks of those things that are not as though they were. Again, as he stated to Abraham, a father of many nations, have I made thee? And the nations hadn't even existed yet, but God said they're going to. In Romans 4.18, when all reason said all was hopeless, Abraham still believed God's promises. Romans 4.18 says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Well, Paul refers again back to Genesis 15.5 and 6. Genesis 15.5 and 6 where he said, And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward the heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. 
See, this preceded the birth of Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the child of promise. Isaac was. And God was specific in who the child would come through in Genesis 17, 18, and 19. And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. In Romans 4.19 we see then that Abraham's faith in God was strong. Romans 4.19 And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So even with a dead body, as far as conceiving children is concerned, even with the deadness of Sarah's womb, Abraham knew they would have a son. In Romans 4, 20 and 21, Abraham was sure God could and would do what he had promised. Romans 4, 20 and 21 says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. The word staggered there, not at the promise of God. Staggered, this is Strong's, one of Strong's, uh, excuse me, one of Thayer's definitions. To be at variance with oneself, to hesitate or doubt. Is our faith that strong? Do we believe that strongly in the promises of God? You know, Abraham's strong faith in God was imputed to him for righteousness. In Romans 4.22, it says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. See, all of this was written so that we can understand the concept of justification. Romans 4.23-25, it says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, in order to have faith reckoned as righteousness as Abraham's was, we must possess the same fervent faith that he had. When you look in Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So those things that were written for our learning. So do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? In Luke, 4, uh, Luke 24, 1-9, it says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which had prepared, they had prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, when they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto him, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified, and the third day rise again. 
And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto eleven to all the rest. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Matthew 26, 28. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for, the re for many for the remission of sins. In Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Do you believe that you are justified because of Jesus Christ? Romans 5.15-19 It says there, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses to justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of the or the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So, recapping Romans 4, Paul specifies that man's relationship with God comes only through God's grace and man's obedient faith. God's grace acted. He gave his son. God is willing to forgive because of the atoning blood of Christ. And God wants to justify us. But we must have the type of faith that Abraham had for that to happen. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today. And I look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.